being fake takes way more energy. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. And today's Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B to post your jobs for free. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We have got the four games from Sunday to talk about. We're going to preview the nine games for Monday. We're going to talk about the four teams that also don't, uh, that aren't involved in either Sunday or Monday's action. We're going to preview the week ahead. So there's lots to talk about. So let's get to it. To it. Oh, really, really good idea, Mr. Bolton. We will start by looking at the week ahead, by looking at the weekly games um, that are being played this week, of course, for weekly lineups, for daily lineups. Matt Smith's got a great article up on Basketball Monster where you can check out um, his thoughts on the schedule for the week ahead. So go and uh, go and check that out. Um, the majority of teams this week play three games. So that's, uh, that's always good news when we get that sort of a, a spread. But there are four teams uh, this coming week. No, that's not correct. There's one team this coming week. I'm looking at the wrong part of the uh, of the schedule. There's one team this coming week that does play just the two games. So we do need to uh, to pay some attention to that team when looking at this week ahead, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. We've got the Suns, the Lakers, the Blazers, the Warriors, the Jazz, the Raptors, the Kings, the Wizards, and the Timberwolves all playing four games, and the rest of the teams have got three games this week. So the Thunder, with that two-game week, it does make it interesting for weekly leagues. You'd still start your Paul George, you'd still start Russ Westbrook. Other guys like Mallow and Steve Adams, who both missed today's game anyway with uh, sore back for Mallow and that calf issue for Adams, really, really tough to start those guys this week, and I wouldn't be looking to start those those players in weekly leagues while Russ and Paul George both come into consideration there. Um, we'll talk about more of that. Let's Let's have a look at the uh, for weekly leagues, how these four-game weeks break down. The Suns have got the best schedule. They play the Lakers twice. So conversely, the Lakers have got a good schedule too because they play the Suns twice. Both of those teams have the best of the weekly schedules for those uh, four-game teams. The Wolves, a tough run. They've got the Jazz, they've got the Spurs, and then they've got the Mavericks and the Pistons to round out the week. So it's not a strong week for those ones. But most of your weekly decisions are going to be based on the teams that play the three games for the week. So you're looking at the better scheduled teams there, like the Celtics, the Clippers, uh, the Nuggets, the Bulls. They've got better three-game schedules as opposed to teams like the Magic, who have the Jazz, the Warriors, and the Blazers. The Nets have got the the Celtics, the Jazz, and the Warriors. Like, really shitful schedules. The Pacers don't have a great one either. The Grizzlies, the Pistons, and the heat. These are not ideal things. Of course, all this stuff you can find over on Basketball Monster, but most of your weekly lineup decisions are going to be based on players playing three games or a real low-end four-game guy that might play for the Suns. Maybe you're looking at Tyler Eulis playing four games and comparing him to someone from, um, say, the Indiana Pacers, DeMontis Sabonis, and his three games. Would you prefer those stats or would you prefer Eulis's four games? And it is obviously very dependent on how your team looks and, and what sort of stats you need and how your opponent looks or how you're sitting in a roto league as to which one of those guys that you would pick. But you can check all that out on Basketball Monster with the weekly projections, with the schedule analyzer and work uh, work out how it all fits best for your team for this coming for this coming week for daily changes leagues. Um, the game breakdown, we've got nine games on Monday. We've got three games on Tuesday, so low volume there. 11 games Wednesday and two games Thursday. 
11 again on Friday, and 7 and 6 on Saturday and Sunday. So a real quality game weekend on the Saturday and Sunday. So streaming on those last two days of a head-to-head matchup is going to be sensational, trying to get those games. And you should be able to play those players on those days so you can really make up for lost ground. So maybe save your acquisitions for the end of the week and make multiple ones across the weekend to try and get those stats that you need to beat your opponent this week in head-to-head matchups. Of course, Tuesday and Thursday are also quality game days with only three games on Tuesday and two on Thursday. Monday's a borderline one. Normally, I use the cutoff as eight games. Monday's got nine. For some of your leagues, you'll find an ability to add someone and use them. For some of them, you won't have that, you won't have that ability to grab someone because they might just sit on your waiver wire. So that is always something that you've got to pay attention to. And unlike when we're talking about weekly games, not all four game weeks are put together equally. The Lakers, for example, play four games this week. But only one of those games comes on either Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or Sunday. In fact, they play one quality game, it's on Sunday. So you could go and add someone who's on the waiver wire. Maybe it is Jordan Clarkson. And you might not be able to play them until Sunday, even though they've got this, oh man, four-game week. They play the Suns twice. That's brilliant. But he might not be good enough to actually crack your active roster on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. So what's the point there? The Blazers, a similar sort of situation. They play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then on Saturday, they play against the Kings. They've got a back-to-back Friday, Saturday against the Kings, but you won't be able to use anyone you add from the Blazers. Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, Ed Davis, Noah Vonley for deeper leagues. You might add them at the start of the week. Going, yep, four games with these opponents. It's all green on the schedule analyzer. Denver, Orlando, Sacramento, brilliant, but you can't use them those first three days. So looking for teams who have a high number of quality games is really important in daily changes leagues, and getting the timing of those is also important. For example, the Warriors, the Rockets, and the Celtics have all got three quality games this week. The Warriors play four games, and you can use them three times, and the Rockets and Celtics both play three games, and all three of those games fall on the low-volume days. So adding your Terry Rozier, your Marcus Smart, Daniel Tice, um, Bainsey, Marcus Morris. If any of these guys are around, you're going to get some value. Luke Marmute, PJ Tucker for the Rockets. Adding some of those guys, you'll get three solid games out of them this week. Um, there's only four teams that have got two quality games. So teams like the Suns, the Raptors, the Mavericks, and the Nets. And the Nets, we said they didn't have a great schedule for weekly leagues. They play three games, but two of them. We've got one game on Tuesday and one game on Sunday. You might be able to get some value out of those Nets players. And you know, with uh, with D'Angelo Russell out, Spencer Dinwiddie gets some value. Jumping Joe Harris gets some extra value as well. So there might be something there for the Nets. Now, on the flip side of this, the Pelicans, the Cavs, the Knicks, and the Thunder do not have one game this week that falls on a low-volume day. So adding your Josh Eustace or Dakari Johnson from Oklahoma City, hoping to do something from them. Um, adding Jarrett Jack or Frankie Nilakina perhaps this week, although Nilakina is obviously a longer-term play. Um, J.R. Smith, Derek Rose, Iman Shumpet for the Cavs. Probably not going to play them. And I'm not sure there's really that huge long-term value in those guys. So that is important to pay attention to. Now, if you've got limited acquisitions during the week, we want to look at how best to take advantage of getting the most games for those acquisitions. So you're looking at back-to-backs. And there's two teams that really stand out here. Well, there's three teams, in fact. In fact, they're the only teams that play back-to-backs this week. Um, and, not, and not even actual back-to-backs, because again, a Tuesday-Wednesday back-to-back doesn't do anything for you, because you can play that bloke on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, you've got 11 games, so they probably don't crack your active roster. We want the pseudo back-to-backs. We want the quality game back-to-backs, the QGB2Bs, as I have just um, coined them. So Tuesday-Thursday, Boston and Houston, they both play a back-to-back there. Thursday to Saturday, Boston and Houston as well. So you can add a Celtics player on Tuesday, or a Rockets player on Tuesday, and you can get three games out of them. 
Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And it doesn't matter that they don't play Wednesday because you probably wouldn't be able to fit them in anyway. It doesn't matter that they don't play Friday because you wouldn't be able to fit them in anyway. So a Boston-Houston stream is absolutely fantastic for this week. The Warriors, they round out the week pretty good. They play Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you can add, they're the only team that has the weekend back-to-back on that Saturday and Sunday. So you can add guys, Andre Iguodala, Shawnee Livingston, Pat McCaw. Maybe you want to stretch things and take your Dave West or your Uncle Pease and get three games at the end of the week, three games in four days on low-volume days where you can use those players. So when we were talking about pseudo-back-to-backs, there's only three teams that feature. It's the Celtics, it's the Rockets, and it's the Warriors. So they're the teams you're really looking to take advantage of to get more value out of your limited acquisitions that you do have this week. So do pay attention to that when you're looking at your um when you're looking at your streaming strategy for the uh, for the coming week, which you should be doing all the time when you're talking about head to head leagues. Now it's time for me to tell you about the wonderful sponsor. It's great to have them back, and that is ZipRecruiter. What if hiring could be easier, more streamlined, and less time-consuming? So even when you're busy, you could still be smart about the way you hire. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click, so you can rest easy knowing that your job is being seen by the right candidates. And then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. I wish I had this technology when I was working as a pharmacist, as a manager. We hired staff all the time. I ran a staff of 45 to 50 people. So there was constantly kids at high school or uni coming and going, and we're looking to replace them, but also pharmacists, also full-time staff. There's multitudes of people, and ZipRecruiter ruled to be a fantastic fantastic service for me to get my ad out there to the best possible candidates. ZipRecruiter is different to other sites. It doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through their site in just one day. The easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B. All right, let's talk about uh, four teams who didn't play either Sunday or won't play on Monday, so I can talk about what action went down with those guys across the weekend. I've already alluded to it with the Brooklyn Nets, um, with D'Angelo Russell hurting his knee. He's going to be out for a little bit of time. We don't have an exact time frame at this point. Spencer Dinwiddie's numbers had been been trending down over the last couple of weeks, but he is now you know, clearly a must-add player. For the year, he's the 129th-ranked guy, but he's going to move into a bigger role, and that means... When we saw Dinwiddie and Russell play together, you got jumping Joe Harris, get some extra minutes. So Joe Harris now gets a bump as well. He was, before today, the 175th ranked player. And he, for however long Russell's going to be out, probably plays 25, 26 minutes a night. It gives a boost to the blue swimmer, Alan Crabb. It gives a boost to Karis LeVert as well, who's playing as the backup shooting guard. Those guys maybe grab a couple of extra minutes as well. So if LeVert was dropped, he wouldn't. I'd add him, of course, over Joe Harris. Um... But Dinwiddie's the main guy that you want to grab here with these Nets players, just given this uh, this injury to uh, to D'Angelo Russell. So that's that's the way we want to have a look at uh, at working out this uh, situation for this team. Rondo Hellas Jefferson playing fantastically. The minutes are really good for him at the moment. The, the 
production's fantastic. He's averaging over a steal and a block per game with really, really good percentages and only shooting 25% from three. So hopefully that can improve, but he's still at a 59% true shooting. So he's been really, really good for this team so far this season. Let's talk now about the Charlotte Hornets, a team that is going to be welcoming back Nick Batum at some point during this week. We don't know exactly when. I'm thinking Wednesday that we're going to be seeing Batum back, but that's not set in stone yet. Now, the the obvious guy that's going to lose playing time, apart from the Baconator Dwayne Bacon and Trevion Graham, who will lose a significant amount of playing time, it's going to be Jeremy Lamb, who'd been averaging 30 minutes a game and almost 17 points with five rebounds. And he is a top 80 player so far. I would expect those minutes to come down to somewhere in the mid-20s. Maybe not initially, as Batum gets back up to speed. But Batum will come in. He'll play his 31-32. MKG will play his 28, 29, 30 minutes there on the wing. And Lamb will soak up those backup minutes behind those guys. But remember, there's also Malik Monk. And now Michael Card-Williams is back into the rotation. So Monk is going to have to get some of those backup two minutes. Um, unless they just completely eliminate Carter Williams from the rotation and play Monk at the one two and Lamb at the three uh, at the two three, which is what they may do, and eliminate Carter Williams and Bacon and uh, and Graham. I think that one of those guys, either Carter Williams or Bacon, will remain in the rotation, but that that's yet to be seen. Now, I wouldn't be dropping Lamb yet because I imagine the platoon comes in slowly plays 25 minutes or so for a week or, or or maybe a little bit more until he gets his conditioning back and then he goes back into his uh, his pretty stock standard role. But if he is available on your waiver wire, Nick Batum, I'd be adding him uh, immediately because it's not going to be too much longer until he returns to action, which is always uh, always great news to have a player like that come back into your squad. The um, Chicago Bulls. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Yeah. Um, Punch and Bobby Portis put up another big night. He's averaging 26 minutes a game so far, 19 and 10. But he is really a absolute garbage time specialist. He is just jacking shots. He's got a usage rate of 31%, which is high for anybody, let alone someone as shit as what Portis is. At some point, this will come down. It won't continue at this rain. He won't continue to get 26 minutes a night because there, I was going to say there won't be as many garbage time games, but it's the bull. So there'll be plenty of them. But he won't continue to be as efficient. He's got a true shooting of 61%. I don't believe that that will stick, and that's coming on the back of 50% from three on four attempts per game. So that makes him, if I use my maths correctly, he's six of 12 from three on the year. That will drop. His efficiency will drop, and then hopefully his green light to shoot whenever he wants will also be rescinded, although this is Fred Hoiberg. So who knows what's going to happen now? Of course, you add Bobby Portis at this point, and you see how it goes. We've seen this shit from him before. We've seen him come out and flash big games, but he is an absolutely horrific defender. He's a He's shitful. He's had one steal and zero blocks in the three games so far. He does nothing on that end of the court, and that's gonna that's gonna cost him some playing time. When when Nick Miritich comes back, I would assume that Miritich moves into that role, unless Miritich is just gonna give them the double bird and say not coming back, like just not gonna play. And that's a distinct possibility as well. But you add Porters for now. I had people thinking that they're gonna drop Larry Mark. I'm, I'm dropping Markkinen now because Porters is gonna come in and take his starting job, and I couldn't disagree with that more. I just think there is zero chance of that happening. It probably limits Markkinen. From playing 33 minutes a night down to 30 or 31, but I don't think there is any way in hell that Portis comes in and leapfrogs Lowry and 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 takes this starting job off him and takes all the minutes off him. I just don't see that happening. 
The other positive sign from the Bulls has been Chrissy Dunn, who is currently the 74th ranked player. He's not obliterating your percentages as much as I sh- thought he would. His turnovers are, are really high, but he's not killing things with, uh, with the, the percentages at this point, averaging 11, 4, and 3.5 and with two steals. And he should be owned really in all leagues. He is outplaying Jaron Grant despite coming off the bench behind him. And he's putting up some good numbers, as is Denzel Valentine. Powell Zips are starting at the three. Not doing anything. Valentine's getting the bulk of the minutes, the consistent minutes, getting assists, hitting threes, scoring a bit. And I really think that Valentine, his priority is behind Portis and it's behind Dunn. But there is that value there for uh, for Denzel Valentine for this Bulls team. And that's good. I'm glad to see him actually starting to do something that we hadn't seen uh, from him before. Always good to, to see that happen. The, uh, the San Antonio Spurs is the other team that uh, doesn't play either Sunday or Monday. So we'll talk about them. Rudy Gay has been putting up some pretty interesting numbers. He's the 83rd ranked player so far this season in just 23 minutes per game. He's really efficient, true shooting 57, hitting 41% of his threes, decently sized usage as well, second on the team at 25%. But like LaMarcus Aldridge, when Kawhi Leonard returns, which is not going to be, it looks like for another three to four weeks, when Kawhi returns, both Aldridge and Gay are going to lose some of their shot attempts. And with Gay playing just 23 minutes at the moment, and some of that's health-related, but when Kawhi comes back, it's not like the Gay is going to be ramping it up to playing 30 a night. So, yes, he's fine to own. I wouldn't consider him a must-own or even a, oh, he's there, who do I drop? Because I feel like what he's doing now, it, it is going to it is going to fall off when Kawhi comes back to a degree. He's still going to, I think Rudy Gay is a really underrated fantasy player. And has been for quite a long time, but he's not going to get back to that top 50 level, or I don't even think going to be able to maintain this top 90, top 85 level of production where he currently sits, just given the return of Kawhi Leonard. Could become a problem. DeJounte Murray also uh, struggling at the moment, and clearly he is not a 12-team league guy, as we're well aware, while Pat Mills not doing a huge amount there himself either. All right, that's, uh, that's all those teams that, uh, that don't... Um, that don't play on Sunday or didn't play on Sunday and won't play on Monday. We've got still plenty to talk about. We're going to go through all the four games from Sunday. We're going to preview all nine games uh, for the week or not for the weekend. What am I talking about? All nine games for Monday from a DFS point of view. So lots and lots to talk about. And we'll get started talking about that right now. And we'll start, of course, with the monstrous line of the night. It goes to Paulie George of the Oklahoma City Thunder. George put up 37 points, which included 8 rebounds, 5 assists. He hit 7 triples, had 2 steals, and was very efficient, going 12 of 22 from the field and hit 6 of his 7 free throws. I think people would be surprised to know that George is the 12th-ranked player this season and he's the 8th-ranked player over the last week, averaging 23 points this season, 6 boards, 3.3 triples, and doing it relatively efficiently. His numbers... I didn't think he'd have too much of a drop-off last season. In fact, his ranking has gone up from where he was last year, but his numbers are really similar. Last year, he was at 23.5. He's at 22.5 this season. He's hitting more threes, slightly less rebounds, slightly less assists, but more steals as he's able to focus more defensively and not have as large of an offensive load placed on him. He had a usage of 29% last year. He's at 26.7 this season. So we're talking about a guy who's putting up the numbers, and if you did spend that second-round pick on him, you're getting handsomely rewarded for what Paulie George is doing, and that's, uh, that's always good when one of those picks uh, works out for you and actually exceeds that expectation. If you get someone who exceeds your expectation in the first two rounds, that's a really, really strong way of going and uh, and trying to uh, to win your league. The waiver wire line of the night and the young gun of the night goes to the same uh, t- goes to the same bloke, and that is of course Yogi Ferrell. 
Kevin Farrell of the Dallas Mavericks. Farrell had 18 points with three rebounds, four assists. He hit three triples. He had a steal, and he was stupid efficient. Six of nine from the field and hit all three of his free throws. Farrell is currently the 101st ranked player this season, but it's down to just 130th over the last week. What we're going to see with Farrell is when Seth Curry comes back, he's not going to play 29 minutes per game as he currently is. Now, Seth could be back at any time in the next couple of weeks. That would be my estimation for Curry. And that's going to move Farrell from being a 29-minute-per-game guy to being a 22, 21-minute-per-game sort of a player. And that's going to cut a lot of his value down and push him to probably 16-team league guy. For now, he's... um. He's getting decent enough numbers, but not numbers where you go, my God, in a 10-team league, I have to own him. In a 12, you'd say, yep, yep, he needs to be owned. But we're talking long-term value here. It might disappear in two weeks' time. So Farrell having a couple of decent performances, but overall, his numbers haven't been spectacular. In fact, before today, the last time he hit double figures in scoring was the 28th of October when he scored 17 against the Philadelphia 76ers. And his four assists today were his second highest of the season after the 21st of October matchup against the Rockets when he had six points, so or so six assists. So we're not seeing much in terms of assists. We're not seeing much in terms of scoring from Ferrell. So he's not a strong, strong ad by any means of the uh, of the definition of the word. Yeah, Dirk Nowitzki, unfortunately, is not very hot at the moment. He is your dud of the night. Five points, one rebound, one assist for Dirk. Two of seven from the field, and he hit. His only free throw, he is currently the 184th ranked player this season, playing only 21 minutes per game over the last three. The good news is this was a back-to-back and and he did play in it. So that is some explanation for the really low minutes here, just 20 minutes with five points. Really hard to recommend Dirk in a 12, probably even a 14-team league at this point. They're going to be nights off. They're going to be minutes that get dipped. He is shooting really, really poorly over the season as well, 41%. We know that Dirk is is normally a higher percentage shooter than that. not getting rebounds, not doing anything defensively. He's just not doing enough, and there's no real point holding on to Dirk in 10s or 12-team leagues or, or maybe even 14-team leagues. At this point, we know who he is. He's not going to lose his starting job. He's not going to you know, be just forced out of the rotation or anything like that in Dallas. They're not gunning for anything. He's there. Maybe this is his last year, and and that's it for uh, for Dirk as your, as your dud of the night. Now, before I go and talk about the box scores, I do want to uh, I do want to talk about the injury news that came out today for Rudy Gobert. He has a bone bruise and he's going to be out for four to six weeks. Now, obviously, that is uh, terrible news for the Utah Jazz. It's terrible news for Rudy Gobert owners. I don't know if anything's going to happen from the Dion Waiters play that caused the injury. It didn't look great for Dion, to be honest, and and it does piss me off quite a bit that if that had have been um, if that had been Matthew Delvadova, he I reckon he would have been killed in an arena. Every, every single dickhead on Twitter and people in NBA media would media would Dell, another dirty play disgraceful disgraceful i have never seen delavadova do anything even remotely close to what waiters did on that play and i'm not even saying that waiters deliberately dove into gobert's knee but he definitely changed direction from the way he was falling and pushed himself and launched in the direction towards another player's lower body not saying he did deliberately definitely don't think he tried to hurt him but for all the bullshit that goes about Delvadova, Delvadova, whenever he falls in on someone, he is going for the ball, which is on the ground. He dives for the ball. He doesn't do a random dive into someone's legs in the opposite direction, away from the ball. And that sort of bullshit really, really bothers me. Um, I've never, and if, and if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong about this, not about waiters, but if there is an example of Delvadova doing something similar, similar to this, I would love to see it because maybe I'm just um, omitting it from my memory. But everything I see Dally doing, I just go, well, just grab him the ball. That, that, that's just my thought process. That's the sort of mentality we have. 
over here in Australia, just jumping on the ball. You saw Aaron Baines smack the shit out of about 100 uh, Raptors players today. We do play it pretty physical over here, and every time it's like Daly jumping for the ball. But that Waiters one was different to me, and, and the lack of criticism in comparison to what Delavadova has received in the past is absolutely astounding to me. Let's talk about the fantasy ramifications of this Gobert injury. We saw in that first game without Gobert that Derek Favors started. He played 35 minutes, and he looked like the old Derek Favors. Now, it was against a Brooklyn Nets team, which is weird in its small ballness. So I'm not sure if um, Favors is going to be able to play 35 minutes a night. Epe Udo didn't see any change to his playing time whatsoever. He played the 13 minutes a night, which he'd been playing every other night with Gobert uh, healthy. Do they run with more Udo at center? Does Tony Bradley, their first-round draft choice from this season, does he get a couple of minutes? I think he probably does. I think Udo probably gets a little bit of a boost. And Favors plays a little bit more. He plays mostly at the five, but he plays a little bit more at the four. So Favors is the obvious pickup. And I tweeted that out today, and some people, oh, man, he's already owned. He's already owned in your league. Like, no, because he's been shit. He's been the 150th ranked player for the season, including the big game yesterday. And if you are in a league that's competitive, like holding on to a, a guy who was getting 27 minutes a night as a starting power forward with no real path to change much from that. I didn't think it was a smart idea, and I would have dropped him if I had owned him. Because, look, it's, he's just stuck there. He, he, he can't do it anymore. He's not getting the opportunity to do it anymore. The Jazz are going smaller a lot of the time, and he's not going to play 30 minutes a night. He's not going to get the rebounds or defensive numbers, and his efficiency won't be there. Now, of course, I couldn't foresee a Gobert injury coming that was going to be six weeks worth in uh, in length to think that Favors could move back and play more minutes as a center. But yeah, I would have dropped him in a league. I would have dropped him to grab Don Mitchell. I would have dropped him to grab the Baptist John Collins. I would have dropped him if the Undertaker was there. I probably would have dropped him to grab the Undertaker. But obviously now things are really different for Favors, and that's why I tweet that out. It, you know, saying that in all competitive leagues he should be owned, it's, it's just not true because he just had, wasn't been playing well um, beforehand, and there was no clear path or clear reason to think it was going to change. The other guy who played a ton of minutes in the last game was Tabo Cephalosha, who played over 30 as the starting power forward, and that looks like what would happen. But, again, against a team that's not as small as the Brooklyn Nets, will Favors play more at the four, forcing Tabo to have a couple of extra fewer minutes at the four? And this week, Joe Johnson should also return, a guy that plays pretty much all of his minutes at the four. So will Tabo continue to get 32 minutes a night? Probably not. Joe is going to get his 20 to 22. Maybe he gets 24 minutes there also. So Cephalosha's playing time, it won't be locked in at 32 a night. I think 28 to 29 is a fair estimation of what Cephalosha can do. By no means is he a must-own 12-team league guy. Think back to his time at the Hawks when he was getting 30 minutes a night. Was he a must-own guy everywhere? No. He could provide the blocks, the steals. He hit some threes. He gets some rebounds. He would help some teams. But he doesn't help every team, and it's not a must-own situation. But again, with with Joe Johnson coming back, he's not going to be in line for the 32 minutes that he saw in that game against the Nets. So that is something to pay attention to when you're considering who you're dropping to add Tarbo. Um, deeper leagues, again, maybe Yonis Shirepko gets some extra playing time. Maybe Tone Bradley gets some. Epe Udo gets a bit of a boost. So they are guys to consider there with the news of this Gobert injury, which is, of course, really, really shithouse for the Jazz and for uh, and for Gobert fantasy owners. In terms of players who are already likely own Mitchell, Hood, Rubio, Ingles, all those guys will get a marginal boost in usage, I would imagine, and that should uh, help their games. Or in the case of Donovan Mitchell, make his field goal percentage impact be all the more awful because it is a real, real struggle to deal with his field goal percentage, as many of you who own him would be uh, would be well aware. 
All right, let's go in now and and look at these uh, at these box scores, look at these games, and talk about the four games that we had on Sunday. The first one of those is the Raptors and the Celtics. A good win for the Celtics. Again, another one without Kyrie Irving. Al Horford did return, but we'll talk Raptors first. Kyle Lowry, look, the buy low window is there. I don't think it's there anymore. 19, 2, and 7. Four triples with a steal for Lowry. I don't think he's ever becoming back to being a top 15 guy, maybe not even a top 20 guy, but he was always going to be better than the top 70 guy that he was showing to start the season, and we're seeing that come around now. DeMar DeRozan had 24, 3, and 4, while Serge Ibaka... A nice triple one, good efficiency, but took four shots. Had eight points in 30 minutes. Still got to hold him. Norm Powell hurt his hip. He had a hip pointer. Lasted seven minutes and exited the arena on crutches. The Raptors immediately called up Alfonso McKinney from the G League. So that makes you suspect that Powell is going to be missing some time with this. The second half, OG Ananobi started. CJ Miles got some extra minutes, but neither of those guys are really 10 or 12 team league appealing. You can look to Ananobi as maybe a poor man's Tabo Cephalosha in terms of being a block and steals type three uh, stream player. Um, while Miles is obviously a three-point streamer who actually got two steals in this one as well, but they're not 12-team league guys to me. Working out the Raptors' center rotation is almost impossible at this point. Yucca Pirtle played really well in the last game, and he saw four minutes here, so Bebe got most of those minutes. Uh, Lucas Noguera played 19, didn't score, but had seven boards, a steal, and four blocks. We know that in 19 minutes a night, he can actually be an impactful guy in 12-team leagues, but whether he's going to get those minutes or not, who knows? Who knows if he's going to get that sort of playing time on a, on a nightly basis? It does vary. He's more fantasy-friendly than Pirtle, but it's not a 12-team league situation at this point. Siakam also played 19 minutes and had 8 and 6 and played a little bit at the 3 as well as Casey went to a weird, uh, super super big lineup. Valanchunas, only 18 minutes. And someone questioned me the other day saying, Josh, why don't you think Valanchunas is any good? And that's look, that's nowhere near what I think about Valanciunas. You know, most of you would know that I think he's really good, and I think that Casey has shit on him for his entire career pretty much and limited his impact. When he plays 30 minutes, the numbers come, and when they look to use him, he actually works out well, but Casey just has a phobia of doing it. And he only played 18 minutes in this game, six points and two rebounds, and that's the concern I have. He still has to be owned, but if they're going to play him 22 minutes a night and use you know, 17 big men in the rotation, it's going to be hard for JV to get over 23 minutes a night and be an impactful guy. For the Celtics, Al Horford returned. He was back in business, 21-3-4 with two steals, 8-9 of nine from the field. He has been brilliant this season, while Marcus Smart, he slotted into Kyrie Irving's hole and had 14-5-9 with two steals and two triples. Yeah, the field goal percentage was shit, but rebounds, assists, steals, and threes. That's what Marcus Smart brings you. That's what he brought you again, and that is why you own him. You don't own him if you want to deal with field goal percentage because it's going to be a problem. But you own him for all those other categories. With Irving out... And smart starting, Rosier moved into the smart role, 16, 6, and 3 with three triples in 28 minutes. When everyone's healthy, when Kyrie's back, Rosier's value is going to go, go away. It's going to go down to 14 team leagues. But for now, he's putting up nice numbers. Marcus Morris off the bench, 22 minutes for Morris. He's yet to play 25 minutes a game for this team, 8 and 5. He is not a standard league guy. I've said that over and over again. And I think that with the way that Vanilla Tice is playing and the way that Baines is playing, I just don't see really a path for Morris to get 30 minutes a night anymore. These other guys are playing too well. Jason Tatum's playing too well. who had 13 and 7 here. With Baines, you know, 3 and 8 in his 20 minutes. Tice had 2 and 8 with 2 blocks in his 17 minutes. Ojale did his thing, went scoreless in 7 minutes, but provided some defense. I just don't see a path for Morris to play 30 minutes a night. 
So not a 12-team league guy, in my opinion. Tice, more of a deeper league player. Well, Tatum, of course, has to be owned in every league. Good night from Jalen Brown as well, mainly because he didn't go to the free throw line. But 18-3-3 with a pair of steals for uh, for Jalen. Let's move on to the next game. It's the Miami Heat and the Detroit Pistons. Hassan Whiteside, 20-12 and 12 with a steal and two blocks. That's a good performance. Well, Joshie Richardson, this is the Josh Richardson that we drafted. 15-5-4, three triples, one steal and one block. And people look at him and go, man, his usage is so low. Well, he had a usage of 15% in this game. And it doesn't matter. Like, usage is such an overblown term. People act like it is the all-encompassing number of any sort of term regarding fantasy. And it just isn't. It, it, it's just not what it is. So Richardson on, again, usage average is 20%. He had 15% in this game and still put up 15, 5, and 4, a steal, a block, and three triples. All he needs to do is start hitting his shots at a little bit of a higher rate. The shot attempts have been marginally down, but the defensive stuff's fine. The turnovers have been high. But if he just hits one or two shots per game, then he's going to be providing basically the exact value that he expected. His minutes aren't going anywhere. His defense isn't going anywhere. He should be owned in all leagues, but he's owned in under 50% of leagues. And I understand people having an issue with it. But to me, I, I, I can't see not owning him. Deion Waiters was good, 16-4-5 with three steals, a good night from him, while the iron shoulder had 18-4-7. Tyler Johnson, a ton of minutes there for him, didn't do much, 6-4-5 in 33 minutes, and that's because Justice Winslow played just 24 minutes as a starter. That's two real turds in a row for Winslow as a starting power for not getting much happening. He was an interesting guy to have a look at if you wanted some assists out of position, but you wouldn't be looking at holding him long-term. Well, Jimmy Johnson didn't do too much, 10-3-2. Of course, Johnson's a guy you hold, whereas Tyler Johnson... I don't believe that he is a 12-team league guy. For the Pistons, Toby Harris, 25-7 and seven with five triples, while Avery Bradley, 24-6 and six and two steals. Some nice numbers for both of those guys, while Reggie Jackson was strong once again. But I guess the big story is the form of Luke Kennard. There was no Stan Johnson. The tackle box, John Lua, was also out. Reggie Bullock started but played 20 minutes, and Kennard outplayed him and Langston Galloway. Lukey had 14-5. and five. He hit, had three assists with two triples and a block. And don't even though he looks insipid with his haircut, even though he looks like a traditional white Duke shooter, he isn't. He can handle the ball. He can get assists. He can play a level of defense that you maybe wouldn't expect. He can rebound the ball. So that gives him a higher ceiling than some of these shooting... Like, oh, you compare him to a guy like Bud, Bud Heald, who you know comes out as this guy that everyone's like super in love with. I think that Kennard probably has a higher fantasy ceiling in similar minutes. I think he can get more assists, maybe be a stronger defender, get more steals, and, and shoot similarly to what Budrick can do. So yeah, I think he's really interesting in, in that sort of a degree, and he's someone to keep an eye on. Now, 28 minutes a night's not going to happen all the time. He does have to still leap ahead of Bullock and Galloway. But I can see as soon as Stan Johnson's back, the bullet goes out of the rotation and Kennard takes that spot and plays his 10 to 12 minutes a night there and starts working on it and taking some minutes away from Galloway. And by the end of the year, he's playing 20, 21 minutes a night, and that's going to have some value for deeper leagues. The uh, Andre Drummond, 8 points, 17 boards, 4 assists, 2 of 4 from the line. If you get 50% from the line from Drummond, I don't, I don't think you should be complaining in the slightest the next game, the Houston Rockets and the Indiana Pacers. Jim Harden, he's really good. What more do I have to say? 26-5 and 15 with two steals. He's good. But you know who else is good? My boy, Clint Capella. 32 minutes for Clint, 20 points, 17 rebounds, one block, just 12 shots. Hitting his free throws. I feel like he is almost an absolute certainty for a top 50 finish this season. He is putting up numbers at a really, really good rate. Yeah, the thing that's going to hold him back is is D'Antoni, 
being a real dick and uh, and playing him limited minutes and playing him 26 minutes a night, 24 minutes a night. Capella's a 23rd ranked player this year in 20, under 26 minutes a game. If he gets 30 minutes a night, I think the top 20 is a legitimate consideration for him. He's averaging 13 and 11 and a half, a steal and two blocks on 70% shooting from the field and 70% from the line. He's doing a DeAndre Jordan in terms of his uh, field goal percentage. He's at 71 true shooting. He's putting up fantastic numbers on limited usage. And really, the only impact is going to be the minutes with D'Antoni. That's it. He's played 30 the last two games, and he's killed it. And Hopeman, that was without Nene, so that's the concern. But hopefully, he can just get 28 at least per night as we move forward. Trevor Ariza hit five triples, 15 and five, or Eric Gordon had another 21 points. And Luke Marmute, what's going on? D'Antoni can really do something with anything, really. 25 minutes for Marmute, 11 points, three triples, two steals, and a block. You've got to consider him. As weird as it sounds to say Luke Marmute is becoming a fantasy asset, he was a borderline one for the Clippers at times for, for certain leagues, but he is the 111th ranked player this season. Luke Marmute, the 111th ranked player. A three a game, one and a half steals a game, eight points, four rebounds, decent percentages. He's not doing much. He's more of a steal stream, and I wouldn't add him in 12-team leagues. But you've got to start paying attention to him. He's putting up Really, really good numbers. He's getting playing time. Now, some of that will go away when Chris Paul goes, but he's doing enough to be considered at this point. Onto the paces. It really was a smashing here. Vic Oladipo, 28 and 4. Miles Turner, 13 and 8 with three blocks. And Demontis Sabonis, he played 23 minutes, 17 and 5 with a steal. You keep holding Demontis. But again, this was a game where Thaddeus Young only played 24 minutes. It was a blowout. So, how do we, um, how do we work out exactly how many minutes Sabonis is going to get on most nights when everyone's firing, when you're getting 34 out of the deuce, when you're getting 34 out of, out of Turner? You know, is Sabonis getting all 28 of those, or is TJ Leaf chiming in? And Leaf played 19 minutes here and hit two triples for nine points. So you hold on to Sabonis, but I think anywhere, if you're expecting him to get close to 30 minutes a night as a backup, I just I just don't think that's going to happen. Another shitful night from Daz Collison. I'd still hold him while Corey Joseph got more minutes. Didn't do a huge amount with him. Had two blocks, which is a, a bit of a rarity. While Boyan Bogdanovich shows again why you don't want him in 12-team leagues as he has five points in his 29 minutes. The last game of the night, the Mavericks and the Thunder. The pencil Harrison Barnes, 22-13 and 13 with two triples. True Harrison Barnes fashion. No steals, no blocks. One assist. Really good numbers, good scoring, and that's insanely valuable. But his ceiling is always going to be limited by his lack of contributions in those other categories. Dennis Smith Jr., 15-5-3, and three, two steals, a block, two triples. People legitimately drop this guy in leagues, which is crazy. He's not even 90% owned, which, again, craziness. You knew there was going to be issues with the field goal percentage. The free throws were always going to correct, and dropping him is just as, as dumb a move as you can make in fantasy. Wes Matthews, 0 of 9 from the field. That's awesome. 1.4 rebounds, 4 assists. He is a borderline 12-team league guy, in my opinion. While Salah Mejri played 11 minutes and Dwight Powell played 19 for 11, 3 and 2. Two steals and a block. The big news, or what everyone wants to talk about, is Nerland's Noel. Out of the rotation last game, DMPCD. DMPCD in this one until the final two minutes where he came in and put up a 2 trillion. There is no reason to own Noel in a 10-team league. There is no reason to own Noel in a 12-team league. And people... I've seen people trying to rationalize arguments like, God, man, this DMP said it'll be a turning point. It's going to be a turning point. Things are going to change now. I don't think that's happening. Oh, they're definitely going to trade him now. Are they? Why? I, I, they're not. Well, for start off, he can veto trades. He can't be traded for at least another month. Maybe it's two months at this point. I, I just... I just don't see it where he's going to go, where he you're going to wait until January, February to get 20 minutes a night, maybe out of Noel. I, I just I just don't see it. I don't think the Mavericks go, man, 
yeah, this guy's been so shitful. I can't wait until we can get a second round pick in the 40s back for him. Might as well just hang on to him and, and, and continue to screw him. And people are real pissed at the Mavericks. Be pissed at Noel as well. He is a real shit bloke from everything that I understand. And that is what is happening here. It is not injury. It is not anything. He is cracked the shits and he just refuses to put in the effort that's required. And Carlo doesn't take that shit. And I heard you know, someone posted this on Basketball Monster saying, oh, yeah, Carlo, when he has to deal with, with Rondo and Noel, you know, this is what always happens. Damn Carlo. No, no, it's just that these other guys are dicks. Like, Noel is a dick. Rondo is a dick. And Carlo just goes, I'm not putting up with this dickish behavior. I just, I'm not dealing with it. The other coaches are like, oh, it's okay, Rajon. You can play. You can come off the bench. You can move. Like, that's what they do. And Carlo just goes, you know what? Don't worry about this, mate. You're just not playing. Pull your finger out of your ass and do something. And Noel goes, no, I don't want to. And Carlo goes, well, cool. Sit on the bench. And we knew that, we know this is what Carlo is like. It's not a Carlo issue. It's him just saying to these guys, grow up. And do what you need to do. We need to drop Noel from 10s, from 12s, probably even 14-team leagues at this point. For the Thunder, no Mallow. He was out with a sore back. Steve Adams was out as well with that calf. So we started a front court of Dakari Johnson and Jeremy Grant. Now, Grant played 34 minutes and had 10 and 8 with a steal and a block. He's going to have decent value, at least while Mallow is out. But I don't imagine Mallow is going to be out long. And I'd leave him for as a 14-team league guy. While uh, Fred Katz is number one enemy, Josh Eustace. Played 22 minutes, had a career-high nine points with two steals, a block, and three triples. And he looks much more accomplished this year. Houston's putting up some pretty decent performances. He's ahead of Terrence Ferguson, but people in 20-team leagues are the only one who really care about that. Paulie George was great. Russ had a big night. Also, well, Dakari Johnson had five and three in his 17 minutes for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, All right, that, uh, that does it for looking at all of the games from Sunday. It is now time for us to transition and talk DFS, and we're going to do that in a sec. But now, before we do that, we've got a song by the band Big School, and it is called Who Do You Think You Are? And then we'll be back to talk some DFS. Some DFS, looking at the perfect DFS lineups from Sunday. Russ Westbrook, 46.7 on Fangio. Yogi Ferrell, 22.6. Marcus Smart, 37.5. Jim Harden at 57.5. Joshy Richardson, 33. Paulie George, 57.1. Just one thing on Josh Richardson. Let's, let's, let's get rid of the J. Rich nickname. Hate those nicknames at the best of times, but there's already a J. Rich. We don't need another J. Rich. Go with Joshy. Go with Richo. No, Jay Rich. Let's let's make a campaign to stamp that out. We've, we don't need to repeat a already shitful nickname as it was. So let's go with Joshy. 
uh, here at 33. Paulie George, 57.1. Dwight Powell, 24.6. Jeremy Grant at 28.1. And Clint Capella at 42.9 for a total of 350. And that cost the full $60,000 over on Fangio. On DraftKings, Jim Harden, 60.25. Joshy Richardson, 32.75. Marcus Smart, 37.75. The Pencil, 40.25. Capella had 45.25. Ish Smith, 26.5. Paulie George, 60.5. And Luke Kennard, 26.75 for a total of 330. And that cost $49,800. So, uh, some nice, um, nice performances there from those guys to get, get us those, uh, DFS lines of the night. Let's now go into these games and try and get you guys involved and get you to, uh, acquire the perfect lineup when you submit your lineup onto DraftKings or Fangio. We will start by looking at the first game of the night, of course, which is the Sacramento Kings traveling to the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are favored by 11.5 points, and the total is 210 here. Vince Carter has kidney stones because he is old. Um, if he misses time, Justin Jackson's been getting a lot more playing, t- playing time there. Frank Mason, he got some extra playing time in that last game as well. So, they're the guys who figured a game. But if anyone can work out anything that's going to happen with the Kings on a nightly basis, let me know because they are the most annoying. They are the worst team in the world for fantasy, for DFS, for anything. You cannot predict anything will happen. Everyone plays basically 22 minutes a night. There is no way of knowing anything in terms of rotations with Jaeger. Uh, they're shit. They should hopefully be getting uh, going for a high pick, but they are really, really tough to deal with from a DFS point of view or from any sort of fantasy point of view. And I imagine, as a fan, from a watching point of view, let's talk point guards. Johnny Walls at 9,700 here. I like his ability to to be able to put up close to 50 against De'Aaron Fox in this one. So I do like John here. As for Fox and, uh, and Georgie Hill, the two point guards for the Kings, uh, Fox is at 5,200. His production's been a little bit down, averaging just 21 over the last three and only 20 over his last five, despite getting 27 minutes per night. I wouldn't feel great about him going up against Wall. He is worth a tournament look, he can go off and get some of those steals, which do really help his numbers, but I wouldn't be keen on using him in any cash game, whereas George Hill, forget it, man, averaging 12 points in his last three games. At shooting guard, Garrett Temple's got fairly consistent minutes, but he's not a high producer of scoring, while Brattles Beal's at 7,700, and I feel pretty good about saying that Beal's going to get me at least 30, and probably 35 on most nights, which at that price is pretty good going. You've got Budrick Heald as well at 4,400, so 4,500, and if there is someone on the Kings that I'd have an element of uh, faith in, it would be Budrick. Um, and I'd feel he's probably the only Kings player that I feel okay about using in cash on Fangio, not Bogdan, not Malachi Richardson either. At small forward, we don't have much here. Ubre's at 4,400. Really big game from Kelly in the last one, but you cannot trust him for cash. Or Justin Jackson's getting the minutes, 28-minute average over his last three, but that is giving you 17 points, and he is at 3,100. So I guess in a GPP, you could include him in the pool. I wouldn't feel great about that. Zach Randolph is a power forward, of course. He's at 4,900. He'd been putting up pretty consistent numbers until he dropped a nine in the last one in 20 minutes. Tournament, maybe. I don't, I don't feel good about that. Well, Markeith Morris at 5,400. I feel pretty good about Markeith getting me 25 points. So I think he's a decent play. While Otto Porter, for as good as he is, 6,700 is just too expensive. He is averaging just 27 points over the last five games, and that's nowhere near enough of what he needs to get to repay that salary. At center, Marching Gortat at 4,900. That's a no from me. Same with Corley Stein. Same with Jan Mihinmi. And unfortunately, same for Costa Kufos. 
Over on DraftKings, let's have a look. There's no real tournament guys that I like. There's some cash plays from the Wizards, Brattles, Beal, Johnny Wall, and Mark Keefe. And I like Budrick as well over there on uh, on DraftKings, but really just not a great game from a DFS point of view because it involves the Kings. Let's have a look at the next one now. It is Cleveland taking on the New York Knicks. Um, the Cavs are favored by four and a half. The total is 219 points. We don't know if Derek Rose is going to play, and I assume if Derek Rose is out, the Cavs will become favored by more. Uh, if he is out, Iman Shumpert will get the start, and he might be worth a look, but I wouldn't be going over the top looking at that. I'd be more interested in J.R. Smith siphoning some of uh, his shots and Kevin Love getting a more uh, representative chunk of the offensive pie. Uh, Jared Jack at 3,800. He's starting, but he's just putting up no numbers. And we have seen many, many guards really go bananas against Cleveland. So if you want to include these uh, Knicks guards against the Cavs, sure, this is a really good chance to do it. I wouldn't be looking at it any other way. Frankie Nilakina, 4,400, just a, a cash. No, sorry, what's the opposite of cash? A tournament type guy. Well, Derek Rose, nah, no thanks. For me, there with Derek Rose. Oh, shout out to the dickheads again that I was arguing with on Twitter. They just, they don't follow me. They just search Derek Rose's name and come into my mentions where someone tweeted today that Rose had, uh, Frank Nilakina had, let's say, nine steals and 30 assists, and Rose had like 11 and one or whatever. It was some crazy number. And I retweeted that because it was funny. And then everyone, how can Rose get assists? How can Derrick Rose get assists? Um, cause LeBron is playing point guard all the time. How can Rose get those assists? He has to play off ball. It's not fair because he's playing with LeBron. How can you expect him to get assists? And my response was, well, how did Kyrie get five and a half, six assists per game last year? Well, Kyrie just played on the court when LeBron wasn't there. That's how he got his assists. All right. So I went to the stats. I'm going to prove these dickheads wrong because they, 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 it's like talking to a brick wall. They just won't believe anything. When Derrick Rose, Shares the court with LeBron James. He averages 2.8 assists per 100 possessions. When Kyrie shared the court with LeBron James last year, he averaged 7.7 assists per 100 possessions. So almost three times the amount of assists playing with LeBron James. But those numbers don't matter to these people who are just fanatical about one single player, and it makes no sense. So it's almost a weekly event, maybe bi-weekly event, that I fight with Derek Rose supporters. I get called a foreigner who doesn't know anything about basketball, and I should stick to soccer which I know nothing about, or kangaroo boxing, which doesn't exist. Stay out of our country's sport. Cool. Good attitude, Mr. Dickhead. All right, let's go back to uh, shooting guard. Timmy Hardaway is at $6,000. He roasted the Cavs the last time that he played them, and we've seen multiple guards go bananas against Cleveland. I am in on Tim Hardaway here, even though he has he did have a pretty quiet game in the last one. While Courtney Lee at 4700 I think that's fine for cash. 25 points for Lee is okay. That's what he can get. He can't do much more than that, but that's a nice cash play. Well, J.R. Smith is at... Uh, I was thinking of debuting a new nickname for J.R. Smith. I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to call him the plumber from now on. And if you want to know why... Because the plumbers, they lay pipes. J.R. Smith, you know about the pipe story. Go and Google it if you don't. J.R. Smith is now the plumber. He is at 4,100. He's been really good lately, the plumber, in the last couple of games. I would consider him a cash option in this matchup against the Knicks. Um, Kyle Korver, GPPs only because he can hit those threes, of course. Doug McDirt, speaking of hitting threes, 3,200 for him. He's playing a lot of minutes. Not necessarily doing much with him, but I would consider him a tournament-type option. While LeBron at 11-2, yeah, I think 50 points is almost a floor for LeBron against the Knicks. And I'm okay using him at cash if that's going to be his floor. Jeff Green. My name is Jeff. Yeah, but not nah, uh, $4,000 for Jeff. I don't think I'll be that interested there. Porzingis at 9600 Yeah, he's been putting up some good numbers. I'm not really sure at that price whether I'm totally on board with him. I, I can see it. 
Um, I'm not not fully locked in as a must-roster guy, but you could use him in cash and have a fair degree of confidence. Well, you could say the opposite for Jay Crowder, who's at 4,200. Actually looked all right in the last game, 28 minutes for Crowder. Sorry, 28 points in 35 minutes. By far his best performance of recent times. Look at him as, as a GPP sort of a player. That's really about it. At center, Ennis Cantor, 6,600. I think if he plays against Kevin Love defensively, he could get in real trouble, so I'm not keen on using him here. Joakim Noah is back, so I would imagine we're going to see a three-guard rotation with Cantor, with Noah, and with the Cock Monster in there as well, so that's going to limit what Cantor can do. I wouldn't be looking at using Noah or uh, O'Quinn in this one. And you've got Kevin Love at 7,500. I'm in on Kevin Love, especially if Derek Rose is out. I think that's a pretty good spot to use uh, to use Lovey. In this one, let's have a look over on DraftKings to see where it, where we go. For tournaments, we've got McDirt and we've got Frankie Nilakina. And for cash, we like Jay Crowder, um, Timmy Hardaway, LeBronald, uh, the plumber, J.R. Smith, and Courtney Lee as some cash options over on, uh, over on DraftKings. Let's now move on to the next game. We're going to be talking about, uh, who is it? The Memphis Grizzlies and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are favored by four and the total is 203 and a half here. Jarrell Martin for the Bucks not for the Bucks, for the Grizzlies is questionable, while Jermichael Green is doubtful. Green is looking to make his debut on Wednesday, so we can basically rule him out of this game here. As for Martin, well, if he doesn't go, then someone's going to have to play some minutes. Brandon Wright, Deontay Davis, Ivan Rab, maybe get some minutes at power forward. Oh, Davis is going to have the most fantasy upside if he gets those minutes, but I just don't think he can sustain enough playing time. So Brandon Wright might be your guy. Otherwise, I think you get more minutes out of the wing players. You get Dylan Brooks playing a lot as Jim Ennis plays almost exclusively at the four. Um, I think that might be the way that the, the Grizzlies would go in this type of a situation. Let's take a look at point guard. Mike Conley, six 6,900. Been a bit up and down. I think that's a fair statement. I look like him as a GPP guy, but that's about it. What Eric Bledsoe at 6,400. Hasn't really let the, lit the world on fire in his Bucks um, tenure so far, so I'm not really keen on looking at him. Mario Chalmers is at 3,300. Our projections do like him, but I think there's a lot of flexibility, a lot of variability in his playing time. So I look at him. At that price, really interesting. Maybe a tournament guy, but I don't feel good about it. Chrissy Middleton at $7,000. The salary is coming down. So I don't feel too bad about looking at Middleton here. If it wasn't against the Grizzlies, I'd probably play him at that price. I wouldn't play Tone Snell under any circumstance. While Malcolm Brogdon, 6100 had 33 minutes, 31 points in the last game, 6100 That's exactly what you want. The Grizzlies factor tones it down a little bit. But I still think that he is uh, he is definitely in play and could be an option. Benny McLemore at 3,300. Maybe if we have Martin out, that means more minutes on the wing for Ben, who looked decent in his season debut, scoring 13 points in 18 minutes. He is at 3,300. He's a GPP option. While Tyreek's at 6,800. That's a very, very large price. But it hasn't really mattered. He's averaging 37 over the last five, and I feel decently about Tyreek. At small forward, Yanni's at 12,000. That's, uh, that's pushing it. Probably not the matchup to go, and I think he's more of a fade to me with other players on the board in that price bracket, especially the uh, the big men in New Orleans. So I think I'd fade Yanni at that price. Well, Jim Ennis at 3,600, I think he's a really interesting tournament player. Dylan Brooks also at 4,100 has averaged almost 23.5 points across the last three. And at 4,100, I'd be totally okay with that. Martin is out. I think Brooks at 4,100 becomes even a decent cash play. At Powerford, um, the Muppet John Henson, 5,100. Don't mind that for him. Mark 
Gasol is a concern. Um, but I don't mind 5,100 for Johnny Henson. Wouldn't be my number one play, but I think he can be used in cash. And if we flip across to center, Marcus Gasol's at 76. I'm all aboard using Gasol here. I think he's a very, very strong option as a center. Brandon Wright would be in play at 3,200 if Jarrell Martin is out. While Thon McCurr, I don't think we need to be too bothered about looking at him. Over on DraftKings, GPP, I think Eric Bledsoe's a, a tournament option on DraftKings. Benny Mack and Dylan Brooks as well. And then we look at the cash guys. Conley, Gasol. Conley's really cheap on DraftKings. Uh, Brogo, Yanni at 10.8 is, is a cash option on DraftKings for sure. The Muppet, John Henson and Tyreek definitely have that value over on uh, on DK. Let's now move across to the next one, and that is the Atlanta Hawks and the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pals are favored by nine. I didn't like saying the Pals. That doesn't really roll off my tongue very well at all. I have to take that out of my repertoire. The Pelicans are favored by nine. The total is 218 points here. Mike Muscala is doubtful with that sprained ankle, while Marco Bellinelli and Malcolm Delaney remain probable, and that means that they are going to play. With Muscala out, Lukey Babbitt will start again, and he is always a sneaky option. We'll get to him in a sec. At point guard, Den Schroeder, $7,000. Really, really like that for Schroeder. I think that getting 30-plus is, is really a realistic target. He's been a little bit slow over the last couple of games with a 33-point average across the last three, but I don't really care. 7,000 is fine there. Drew Holiday at 7,000. I would prioritize Schroeder over Holiday. You could use Holiday, of course. It's a really good matchup for him defense-wise, but I would be uh, prioritizing Schroeder in that matchup. You got Delaney, who's put together some decent numbers, and at 3,100, 19 points in the last one. That's brilliant. That's over 6x in value. And if you're looking to you know, really stack some high price guys in their book and, and maybe Yarny and, and Jim, you can get 31 for Delaney. I feel not too bad about that. I don't feel great about Ian Clark, though. At shooting guard, you've got Etwan Moore, Marco Ballinelli, both at $4,000. I would take Ballinelli for a tournament, and I wouldn't really consider um, more for much, while Kenty Bazemore is at 5,200. He saw his minutes decrease quite a bit, but I feel pretty confident about Bazemore getting at least 25 points. So he is, is in play to me. That's more for Torian Prince at 5,800. A bit up and down with his performance. I don't really think his ceiling is high enough to consider him a must-roster tournament type of player. At power forward, Shek Diallo played 19 minutes in the last game with Tone Allen out. They actually used him uh, as a backup big, which they should have been doing all season. And, and Dante Cunningham played more along the wing. So in a similar situation with Tone Allen, and, and Tone Allen is out of this game, $3,000 for Diallo, who put up 16 in those 19 minutes. I think he's worth a look in the GPP. Now, he could also play not at all, but he is an interesting guy to look at because he was impressive in that game. Uh, the Baptist, John Collins, is at 4,800. It's a terrible matchup. He is very, very foul-prone against Davis and Cousins. a really bad situation, but at 4,800, we know that he can go out there and beat that. So as a tournament, he'd be a secondary tournament lineup sort of a player, but he is in play. Lukey Babbitt at 3,400. I feel okay about him getting to 20 points. So I think he's a decent guy to have a look at here. Um, Tone Davis... 11-4, good matchup. Yep, lock him in. Feel, feel comfortable about that. And same with Boog as a center, 11-7 for Boogie Cousins. Really, really strong there. While The Undertaker, 5,400, has been really good. But yeah, I'm not sure The Undertaker is going to survive a matchup against, uh, against Boogie and Tone Davis. So he is probably somewhat of a fade here to me. If we head across to DraftKings now, tournament-wise, Lukey Babbitt and the Baptist are in play. Cash, it's Boogie, it's Torian Prince, who's a much cheaper option over on DraftKings, Drew Holiday, and Tone Davis. Holiday has a $300 cash advantage over Schroeder, so that's why I would take Drew in the DraftKings settings, whereas Schroeder is the guy that I would look for on DraftKings, on Fangio, sorry. 
Um, the next game is the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Utah Jazz, the Ricky Rubio revenge game, if you believe in such nonsense. The Wolves are favored by three and a half, and the total is 208.5 points. Gorky Jeng and Cole Aldrich are both questionable for Minnesota. If Jeng is out, it means way more minutes for Taj Gibson, and that would put him into play. Aldrich just doesn't play anyway, so that doesn't really have any impact. And even if, I reckon if Jeng was out, I don't even think Aldridge would even get into the game, so I wouldn't be too concerned about looking at him. At point guard, Ravishing Rick, 7,500. He'd put up 41 in the last game. No go bear. Maybe he gets back into you know, looking a little bit more for his shots. I'm in on him at 7,500. Um, Jeff Teague at 6,500. Only look at him as a tournament type of guy. He put up 30 in the last one. He's averaging 31 over his last five, which isn't quite enough at 6,500, but he can go off and the price has dropped to make him decently appealing. Rocket Rodney Hood and Don Mitchell, 4,900 for Rocket, 58 for Don. Um, Mitchell was getting the start. He's putting up, in general, more fantasy points, 34 in the last one versus Hood's 20, but Hood shot like 24% from the field in that one. So you would hope that he can get a little bit better. It is a good matchup for both of these guys, but I would consider them only as tournament options. While Andrew Wiggins, Wigo, is at 6,100, putting up some yeah, decently strong numbers recently. And I actually don't mind him as a cash play in this setting. While Jamal Crawford at 3,000, well, Crawford can really go off at any time. He's a minimum salary guy. I would be interested in using him as a tournament option. Tarbo is at 4,100. There is no Joe Johnson for this one. So this is an opportunity for Tarbo to play big minutes. He had 35 in 32 in the last one. I think he's a strong option at 41. So definitely get involved there. Well, Jingle and Joe at 5,700. I think that's a strong cash option also. Jim Butler really got on track in the last game, 44 points, 40 minutes, aggressive getting to the line, 7,100. I am back on board with Jim here. I think it's worth having a squeeze at him. At power for Derek Favors, 5,400, just dropped 46 in that last game at center. Totally back on board with using him here. It's not like Carl Anthony Towns has any semblance of defense, so Favors is worth a look. While Taj at 4,600, even I think it's good for cash, even better if Jeng is out. So I think Taj at that price feels fairly safe, and I don't think his minutes are really going anywhere. At center, uh, Epe Udo at $3,000. Maybe they go and give him 22 minutes a night at minimum salary. That could work. I don't feel strongly about it, but it could. While Carl Anthony Towns normally against Utah, to go, nah, no way, not interested. There's no go bear. So it's a little bit of a different story. 9,400 for Townsy, 45 points shouldn't feel too much of a stretch for him to get to. So I do like Carl Anthony Towns in this matchup against the go bearless Jazz. Um, over on DraftKings, I think that Rocket... Don Mitchell and Wigo are all tournament-type guys. The other players who I do really like, Tarbo, Favors, Ravishing Rick, Townsy, Jinglin Joe, Jim Butler, and Taj Gibson can all be used in cash and in tournament lineups over on, uh, over on DraftKings. Let's go to the next game. It's the Los Angeles Lakers and the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are favored by two. The total is 227.5. There should be stats all over the place in this game. Uh, Lonzo Ball coming fresh off a triple-double. His best game prior to that was this game against Phoenix. So look for some pretty interesting uh, numbers coming out here. The Suns made a change at point guard in their last game. Tyler Eulis replaced Mike James. Really out of the blue. But as we saw before, James was starting, but it didn't mean that Eulis wasn't going to play more minutes some of those nights. So if you're looking at in terms of standard league value for these guys... I don't know. I think it remains almost the same. If you do have James, it'd be okay to swap him for Euless, but I don't think that it's, oh my God, I have to absolutely go and grab Euless. Remember, his value last year, which barely cracked the top 100, came in about 43 minutes a game, taking about 25 shots per game. Things which just aren't going to happen this season. So he's not going to be able to repeat that level of value that he had last year because he was extraordinarily inefficient. Now, his canning stats were pretty good, but I just don't think he's now, after playing you know, 18 a night, coming in and go, oh, cool, 41 for me, let's go. 
just a, a weird situation. Now, in terms of looking at this from GPP wise, 4,000 for Eulis is b- beautiful. Love the matchup. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Really like that clearly because I love it. Lonzo Ball at 7,600. He is putting up some impressive DFS numbers, a 46 point average across his last three games. In the first game against Phoenix, he dropped 55. I've constantly thought his price was a little bit too high, but not today. 7,600. Yep. I'm, I'm good with that. While Mike James at 5,300, probably leave that as a fade. Shooting guards. Mr. GPP himself, KCP, he is at 4,700, have no interest whatsoever in cash. It's a good matchup for him for a tournament, but that's about it. While Geordie Clarkson at 4,300, the minutes are there, the usage is there, the production's been a little bit down, but I'm back on him in this one here. Same with Devin Booker at 7,400, who's just quietly averaging 40.5 over the last three. At small four, Joshy Jackson, 3,200, maybe in a tournament, but I don't feel great. Brandon Ingram at 5,900, a good matchup for Ingo, but his last couple of games have been a little bit disappointing pointing, but I don't hate getting back on him, but there are many other cash options I'd prefer. While TJ Warren, Tony Warren Jr. is at 7,100. Good matchup, good form, good player. I think he's fine for cash with maybe a limited tournament upside. At power forward, you've got Dragon Bender. Um, you got Marquise Chris. I would look at Chris as a tournament guy. I wouldn't really care too much about Bender. And then on the Lakers side of things, Kyle Kuzma at 6,200 feels really strong for cash and tournaments. Or Julius Randle at 52. You know his minutes are going to be limited, but I also think he's going to get 25 points almost no matter what. So I like him as a cash guy also. At center, Tyson Chandler came straight back, played 27 minutes because that's what you do when you're a coach of a bad team. 4,400 for Chandler, I will pass. Alex Len at 44, I will also pass. And Brookie Lopez at 57, well... He could smash a shit out of this team, or he could play 21 minutes. So at 5,700, maybe in a tournament, but who knows what sort of dumb shit the uh, coaching staff is going to do. In LA, let's have a look at DraftKings for this one. Chris and KCP, both tournament options, whereas for cash, we've got Booker, Kuzma, Randall, Warren, Lonzo, and Eulis at 3,700 as a cash option over on DraftKings. Let's get on to the next game now. It is the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. The Blazers are favored by one, and the total is 209.5 points here in this one. Gaz Harris. Nice, Gary! He missed the last one with a shoulder, shoulder soreness. I'm unsure if he'll be back for this one. With him out, the Blue Arrow and Farton Will Barton went absolutely bananas in that backcourt. So uh, if Jamal Murray was dropped in your standard league, please add him. I know he'd been struggling, but I do still believe in him. And more importantly, Mike Malone still believes in him as a closer and as a starter. And that is really important. Um, Murray is at 4,700. I, I wouldn't feel confident about locking him into cash, but I do like the matchup for him. I do like his tenacity on defense. He's really improving in that area. And I feel okay about him as a tournament guy here. Dame Lillard's at 9,600. He missed practice, but he's going to play, so he is fine. I think it's a good opportunity for him to drop a 50 as well. Or Manny Moutier at 46, just uh, not for me, for Manny. Uh, I like what he's been doing for seasonal leagues, but not for DFS. Just too highly priced for his level of output. At shooting guard, McCullum is at 7,000. I'm totally in on that. Really good for cash. While Farton Will Barton at 61, as weird as it is to say, I think it's fine for cash as well. He's been putting up some really, really impressive numbers. At small forward, Evan Turner's at 45. Just little excitement. Same with Mo Harkless and Baby Neck Wilson Chandler. Just nothing to see from that small forward position. At power forward, Ed Davis is at 39. He's been getting you some okay numbers, but it's just as unexciting as you can get. While Paulie Millsap at 7,300, really cranking out the stats at the moment. I think he's good for cash. I think it's a really decent matchup for him. So I'm okay with using Millsap here. At center, Yusuf Nurkic. You want to go revenge games? He had 61 the last time that they played against the Nuggets. And maybe that was a revenge factor. 
Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? But at 8,400, I do really like Nurkic here. While Jokic at 9,400, he struggled in that match against Nurkic. Foul trouble did limit him, but he has been killing it, averaging 55 over the last three games. I am fine with him. I would prioritize Nurk over Yoke, but I could understand using either of those guys in a uh, in a DFS lineup. Let's have a look how I see things on DraftKings for this matchup. I think that the Blue Arrow at 4,800 is a tournament guy. Then you've got Millsap, McCollum, Farton, Will Barton, Lillard, Jokic, and Nurkic all as cash possibilities. Let's go on to the next game. It is the second last game of the night. It's the Orlando Magic and the Golden State Warriors. Um, Steph Curry is listed as questionable, as is Lord Alfred Payton with a hamstring for the Magic, while John Isaac is out and Andre Iguodala is probable after missing the last game due to rest. Obviously, if Curry is out, Sean Livingston comes into consideration. Uh, Pat McCaw gets a boost, as does Uncle P. So in GPPs, you might want to throw those in if we haven't heard news of Curry playing or not before lock, and that might give you a little bit of an advantage in a different type of lineup. If Payton is out, then I'd look at maybe Aaron Aflalo. Jesus, that's a... I can't believe I said that, but maybe Aaron Aflalo, but more likely Shelvin Mack or um, John Simmons as a player that you would look at there. At point guard, Steph is at 92. I just don't have enough faith in that. I just don't think there's a huge value there. While Lord Alfred is at $7,000, just not the matchup to use Peyton, I don't believe. Shelvin Mack, 4,300, of course, if Peyton's out, becomes an option. Terry Ross is at 41, tournament only for Tez, while Clay at 6,600. I think that's a really nice price, but I still would only want to trust Clay in a tournament setting. At small forward, you've got Kevin Durant, who was back after his thigh issue. He had 50 points in the last one. He's at 10-2. I think another 50 is definitely um, in the realms of possibility for Durant, so I like him. While John Simmons at 44, I like his ability to get you 25, and even more, perhaps, if Peyton happens to be out, Iguodala's not really doing it for me. While Fournier at 6,300, just not the matchup for Evan to put up the big enough numbers. Uh, power forward, Draymond's at 8,200, only in a tournament. It's a good matchup for him, but that just feels a little bit too high for Draymond. While Aaron Gordon at 7,300, as I reckon I'd fade him against Draymond, just doesn't sound great. At center, Mo Spates at 3,200. He played 18 minutes with Isaac out of the last game, put up 23 points, and in a tournament, you know this guy's going to take shots, and you know if he hits him, Big numbers are going to come. So at 3,200, most spates is absolutely an option. Nick Vucevic at 7,700, I'll have to fade him. Warriors, centers, generally doesn't work out all that well. And that that salary, I'm not interested. Nor am I interested in Bismack, Biombo, JaVal McGee, or Zaza Pachulia. On DraftKings, um, tournament options, John Simmons, Terry Ross, and Mo Spates. And the only guy I really like for cash is Kevin Durant over on uh, over on DraftKings. Let's move on now to the last game of the night. It is the Philadelphia 76ers and the LA Clippers. The Clippers are favored by two and the total is 219.5. Pat Beverly and the Rooster, Danilo Gallinari, have both been ruled out. Um, Philadelphia have Jared Bayless and Sauce Castillo, Nick Stauskas, all questionable for this game. With Beverly and Gallo out, expect Austin Rivers and Sundarius Thornwell to start alongside Wes Johnson and Lou Williams' value gets a significant bump. Let's start with the point guards. Jawan Evans played 23 minutes in the last game, put up 22 points. He's at 3,900. I think he's worth it. You know I've talked highly about him for quite a while. Really, really good to see what he can do. 4,600 for TJ Mack on the other side. Not feeling as good about him, and I would prioritize Jawan Evans over TJ in a tournament-type situation. At shooting guard, Thornwell, Sindarius, 3,400. I think that 16 points is almost a given for him and really got an opportunity for 20, so I do like him strongly. And Lou Williams at 55. Let's go. That's 25, almost guaranteed, and almost 30 guaranteed, I think, for Lou. Really, really strong option for both of those guys. 
guys. JJ Redick in his revenge game, he's been putting up some good numbers. And at 5,200, I feel pretty good about using JJ Redick and getting me that 25 points at this point. Well, Austin Rivers at 5,400, he could just bludgeon himself into those values, get the shots, get the steals. And I think 25 points is really a minimum for Austin Rivers at this point. At small forward, Bob covers at 6,300. He's a tournament type of a player, as is Wes Johnson. We're at power forward. We've got the big guns. We've got Blakey Griff. We've got Benny Simmons. 9,300 for Simo. 8,400 for Griff. Uh, Griffin at 8,400. With those guys out, I think 40 point is a decent expectation. I think 45 for Simmons is decent expectation. So therefore, they both have some cash value. Dario Saric, on the other hand, at 4,600. I'd look at him more as cash if Bayless happens to be out. If Bayless plays at 4,600, it's really hard to rely upon Saric, I think. At center, it's DeAndre Jordan at 72. I'm in on that. I think he's got 40-point upside here, while Joel Embiid at 8,800. Maybe a little bit too high for Joel, and I think I would probably fade him in this setting. You could look at Rashawn Holmes at 3,800, who had 21 in 21 minutes in the last game. I just think the 21-minute part of that is probably a little bit high, and he has had an $800 price jump. So that's leading to me fading Rashawn Holmes. On DraftKings, we've got Wes Johnson, Bob Carvin, Sharich as tournament guys, and then Cash, you've got Rivers, Reddick, Simmons, Embiid, Jordan, Lou Will, and Jawan Evans and Sindarius Thornwell are both minimum salary players over there. Let's take a look at a couple of the other DFS sites. We'll start with Yahoo, talk about some tournament guys. Tyson Chandler has got some upside as a minimum salary guy. Frankie Nilakina, Thornwell, Wes Johnson, Jawan Evans, Terry Ross, Mo Spates, Jamal Murray, Marquise Chris, Don Mitchell, Rocket Rodney Hood, Dylan Brooks, Doug McDirt, Benny McLemore. Um, probably all the tournament type options in cash. Tarbo, Eulis, Courtney Lee, Lou Williams, The Plumber, J.R. Smith, Derek Favors, Joe Ingles, The Muppet John Henson, Markeith Morris, J.J. Reddick, Farton Will Barton, DeAndre Jordan, Nurkic, Ball, Kuzma, Ravishing Rick, and Joel Embiid, Demarcus Cousins, Benny Simmons, and Tone Davis. On Moneyball, tournament guys, Thornwell, Spates, Holmes, Evans, Blue Arrow, Don Mitchell, Marquise Chris, Rocket Rodney. Um, they're the main tournament type options. For cash, we're looking at Tarbo, Lou Williams, Derek Favors, Tyler Eulis, DeAndre Jordan, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Randall, Marcus Boog, Ingles, Nurkic, Farton, Ravishing, Reddick, Muppet, Embiid, Simmons, Tone Davis, and Yanni. And we'll round it off with Draft Stars, Tournament Spates, Wes Johnson, Jameer Nelson, Frank Nilakina, Don Mitchell, the tournament guys along with Rocket and the Blue Arrow and Dougie McDirt as well. In cash games, we take a look at Sindarius, Jawan Evans, Tyler Eulis, Tarbo, Nurkic, Favors, Jordan, Williams, The Muppet, Ravishing, Kuzma, Embiid, Hardaway, Jingle and Joe, Ingram, Warren, Townsy, Johnny Wall, Boog, Benny Simmons, KD, LeBronald, and Mark Gasol. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Don't forget to check out ZipRecruiter and go to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B to try ZipRecruiter for free and post your jobs. Of course, check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network and Basketball Monster. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Rudy Gay.